All right, what is up, everyone tuning in from wherever you are listening and friends that are here today. I've got a handful of friends that are jumping up as we continue this series, Fact Check, where we are putting Christian beliefs on the stand, so to speak, and examining and evaluating, is this belief something that I can really be confident is true? A lot of things that we've been told, if you've grew up in the church, you have a Christian faith. And so each week we've been covering different ideas or beliefs that are a part of Christianity and examining Are we sure that's true? Can we fact check that? Uh, Let me start by uh, telling a little bit of story that'll tell us some direction for where I'm going. Every year, um, you know, in recent history, I have have gone and had a dermatologist appointment. Have you guys, did you guys go to the dermatologist? Anybody here? Yeah, you do. Come on, my man. Hey, if you can't tell, I'm what you would call extra Caucasian. And so I, uh, for sure, have to make sure that uh, I go and you know, don't, skin cancer doesn't feel like fun. Nobody's got time for that. And so every single year I go in there and it's one of my least favorite things. And here's why. There's, there's several things that are involved. And you know what I'm talking about. If you've been there, you kind of get in the room, you sit in that, you know, little uh, doctor's office. You're waiting in the room. They tell you to get in your underwear. So you're sitting there like in your underwear. The doctor comes in and he begins to just like inspect everything. And so he's sitting there with his assistant just looking over your entire body like he's a, a, a mommy baboon or something, looking and making sure or seeing like, man, this doesn't look normal. And what is this over here? And every time I've gone, he'll like flag something where he's like, oh, this doesn't look good. And he circles it with a Sharpie. And then he's like, we're going to have to take a graft of that and send it off to the lab because it looks like it possibly may be cancerous. And it just like produces this angst in me where I'm like, oh man, I'm about to go find out. Thankfully, it hasn't ever been cancerous when it's come back. But every time that I have that exam or a doctor's appointment coming up, I'm like, oh gosh, I, like, I do not want to go. I just want to even pretend like I don't have anything. I just want to move on. I, I don't even know that I even want to know the truth if there is something suspect you know, on my body that, that shouldn't be there. And I don't even want to uh, go to a doctor and have that examination. It just puts like a week of anxiety in my head and mind while I wait to get that, you know, graph back. And what does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, in a lot of ways, I think that is the experience of this desire that I'm not even sure I want to know the truth and I I don't want to always know everything there is how a lot of Christians feel as it relates to the topic of science. There's a hesitation on, you know, I I just don't want to spend too much time looking into the scientific realm, and I'm not even sure that I want to know everything that is involved with, you know, evolution or creation or the Big Bang, and it it just feels like, you know, if I did know it, the possibility that my faith could begin to unravel, I just don't even want to think about that. Good vibes only. I don't want to know. And the crazy thing is, as Christians, we believe that all truth is God's. We believe that there isn't any truth out there that could dismantle this thing in science As we understand science, it's something God created. Anytime there's a scientific discovery, it's not something we need to be afraid of. It's something that explains, oh, that is how God did it. So tonight, I want to talk about the idea of science and Christianity. Specifically, I want to fact check, does science or that science doesn't contradict Christianity? Like, let's talk a little bit about that. Because I think a lot of people, if you're anything like me, you went to a college or a university and you sat there and you had professors go, this is why we can't trust the Bible. Christianity has been disproven. Evolution makes it no longer necessary for God. We know that the biblical narrative is not true. And you were told that you can't even really trust the faith that you grew up with, that your parents said was worth trusting in. That science has really disproven a lot of it. Maybe there's some truth, but not all of it. 
And I wanna talk tonight about the fact that science doesn't contradict Christianity. Specifically, I wanna look at three buckets. So we won't have time to do an exhaustive look at all of this, but as best I can, I wanna talk about the Big Bang Theory, not the TV show, the theory, the uh, idea of evolution. And then I just wanna talk high level about science, Christianity, what are they even pursuit of, and how they don't contradict one another. So the first thing I wanna dive into, if you take notes, is does the Big Bang, the Big Bang Theory, contradict Christianity? What is the Big Bang Theory? Big Bang Theory is a uh, belief system almost you know, unanimously embraced today in the scientific community that the origin of our universe had a beginning. Or there was an origin. There was a moment in time where the universe began to exist. A lot of this comes down to like Einstein and his theory of relativity and the expanding universe. And basically, over the last 100 years, science shifted from going, hey, the universe may be eternal, uh, a steady state theory, or the, there may have been the universe always, to know there was a moment in time where it all began. Stephen Hawking, who, uh, anybody seen the theory of everything when that came out? Yeah, you have. He said this, Stephen Hawking's incredibly brilliant guy in his book, A Brief History of Time. Virtually everyone now believes the universe had a beginning. Many people do not like that idea that it has a beginning because it smacks of divine intervention. There was a professor from Princeton University, a professor of physics. He wrote a book called The First Three Minutes. What an interesting thing. And the first three minutes was on the first three minutes of the universe. And he basically studied it and worked on producing, hey, this is what the first three minutes in uh, universe history, when the creation happened, this is what it was like. And here's how he summarizes what took place initially. That at the beginning, there was a bright explosion of light and energy, and the universe was filled with light and heat. The Christian understanding does not in any way contradict the scientific idea of the Big Bang Theory. Why do I say that? What he just said is, hey, there was a moment in time where there wasn't anything, and then all of a sudden there's this explosion of light, and the universe was created. What are we told in Genesis chapter 1 in the first handful of words on the page? Again, this isn't like, I'm not reading this from, you know, Christian.com. I'm reading it from an MIT professor in his book on the first three minutes, universally almost accepted this is how it took place. An explosion of light, and the universe began. Genesis says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The very first thing that he says is created. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The idea of a big bang is not a problem for Christianity. If anything, it's a problem for any type of belief or system that doesn't involve God. The big bang theory was actually, oddly enough, created or came up or coined by a Belgian Catholic priest named George Lamarts. I think we have a picture of George. There he is. There's George doing some math problems. He's actually hanging out with Einstein, I think, in another one of the pictures. But he came up with this idea or this teaching that uh, the Big Bang was something that was created and happened because a big God caused it to take place. Or furthermore, I just want you to think about the idea of like Genesis 1. Like, let's say it's true. Maybe you don't believe me, but just go with me for a second. God creates the heavens and the earth, and he says, let there be light. What do you expect would happen when God creates into the world or creates the universe in a moment? Of course, there's going to be a big bang, a loud volume-filled eruption as everything that we see exists comes into existence. 
And a Belgian priest comes up with this idea, and it wasn't a contradiction to his faith. Big Bang didn't push him away from God. If anything, it supported it, reinforced his belief that there was a big God behind the Big Bang. Science was a road sign that pointed to God, not away from him. There's a leading NASA scientist that was a part of, uh, I believe, Apollo 11. It may have been Apollo 13, but he was one of the leading scientists in NASA, and he was an astronomer. He basically studied galaxies and all that stuff. One of the leading astronomers that was out there was a Colombian professor and head of physics and astronomy at Columbia University. His name was Robert Jastrow, and he wrote a book, and he was an agnostic as it related to religion. But in studying kind of the, the universe and what we know, he came to the conclusion that, man, it really does align with what the Bible says. He's not a Christian. He just said, it aligns with the first you know, couple chapters that we see there. Here's what he wrote. Now we see that the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The details differ, but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. He goes on to say, for the scientist, again, this is a leading NASA scientist. This isn't like, you know, Christian, uh, Christian dad out there writing this. This is a leading thinker who worked with White House administrations, was a part of some of the most significant launchings in terms of uh, NASA, saying, this is what we've discovered. For the scientist who's lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He scaled the mountain of ignorance as it relates to uh, who actually, or how did the world come into existence, or how did the universe get created? He scaled it and he begins to discover what happened. He's about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the rock, he's greeted with a band of theologians. That's just a big word for like people who study the Bible, who have been sitting there for centuries, for thousands of years, saying, hey, we knew there was an explosion of light and a big bang because a big God started and created it. You may be thinking, and here's where, you know, I'll probably get an email. Somebody's going to be like, no, wait a second. The Big Bang has different theories about like the earth is 15 billion years old or certain length of time that was involved and this many years were a part of it. That contradicts the six-day creation that we see in Genesis. No, not necessarily. And, and here's what probably a lot of you may know. And maybe if you're listening in and you don't have, you're still searching on what exactly do I believe. Christians don't all agree on whether or not the six-day creation, which is in Genesis chapter one, is a literal, is he literally saying six actual days? Because God's outside of time. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter three, with the Lord days like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. So was he saying like, hey, on the first day I made this, was it actually a 24-hour day? Or was that just speaking of a designated season or time period in which God created it? And a lot of Christians disagree. And I'm not here to really tell you which one you need to land on. I'm just saying that is not a contradiction to the scientific evidence we see as, as it relates to the Big Bang. And a lot of Christians believe, now, hey, the word in Hebrew, not to go too heady, but in that first chapter is the word yom. It just basically is a word even in the Bible. Sometimes it's translated day. Sometimes it's translated season. Sometimes it's translated era. Which one is it? Man, you decide. I wouldn't die on any of those hills because it doesn't change anything about the fundamental beliefs of the teachings of Jesus and the message of the Bible. The Big Bang is not a problem and doesn't contradict Christianity. It is a problem for a belief that doesn't involve God. 
Here's why I say that. I mean, it goes almost without saying, it's why less and less people are able to hold on to the Big Bang itself as an explanation for why God wouldn't be there. The reason why it would contradict the idea of God or is a problem for any view in life that doesn't involve God is because without, you take God out, what caused the Big Bang? Like what was behind it? And this is where people begin to go, you know, I don't really know. But think, none of us would live that way. Like I want, I want everybody right here to think. Have you ever had one of those moments where um, you like heard something outside and it was like a gunshot? And you're like, dude, what is going, was that a gunshot or hopefully a firework or what is going on with the neighbors down the street? And honey, lock the door. And uh, you have that moment where you're like, man, what was that? Have, am I alone? Do I just, maybe I just live in the hood or something. And uh, when that happens, here's what nobody does. Nobody goes, hey, did you hear that? Yeah, I did. But I'm, I'm pretty confident nothing caused it. It just was a big bang. There's no explanation behind it. All of us would rationally go, okay, that doesn't make any sense. So when you take God out of the equation, if anything, the Big Bang Theory was so devastating to the worldview that doesn't hold God in it. Because it begs the question of like, then what caused it? And it takes a lot more faith to say nothing. Just like in that scenario, it takes a lot less faith to say, I think that was a gun that caused a gunshot. It's much more leap of faith to say, no, I think nothing caused a gunshot. In the same way, it's a bigger leap of faith to say, hey, I think nothing caused everything I see around me than it is to say, maybe there could be a God and a big one that caused that big bang. Okay, the second reason it's problematic is because not just like who caused it, but who designed everything that you see around us without a designer or God behind those things. You begin to look at the world and you're like, it just is increasingly challenging to believe. Things are so intricate and complex and finely tuned of our universe. Like, what do I mean by that? There are things that if you change them like the smallest degree, you guys are smart, so you probably know all this, but you change them like the tiniest little fraction of a fraction degree and life would not exist on the planet. What, what do I mean? Like, here's a couple. If the earth rotation took any longer than 24 hours, temperatures would be too extreme. Alternatively, if the rotation period were shorter, atmospheric wind's velocity would be too great. Large planets, nobody probably has wondered this. This was like fascinating to me. I thought it was interesting. You ever wondered like, why is Jupiter there? Like why, what is it doing out there? Why would God make this like, and it's like the biggest of all of them. Like what is Jupiter doing out there? One of the things that Jupiter does, in case you're wondering, this is how like important it actually is to the world around us, is that Jupiter... If it were not in its current orbit, the Earth would be bombarded with space material such as comets and meteors. Jupiter's gravitational field acts like a cosmic vacuum cleaner to attract space debris away from the Earth. Here's another one, the Earth's mantle, which is just like the ground around us or the outside of the Earth. If the thickness of the Earth's crust were greater, too much oxygen would be transferred to the crust to support human life. If it were any thinner, Volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. The world around us, those are three, there's an infinite, or there's a humongous list about this world. It's like incredibly well-designed. It's finely tuned. And if you take God out of the picture and equation, who did that? Why is it that way? I'm confident if, if we were all hanging out and walking along the beach and uh, we came across um, like a piece of plywood or a piece of not plywood, just like driftwood that was kind of up there on the shore, most of us would be like, 
you know, I don't know where that came from. My guess is probably one of these trees back here, and that's how it ended up here. But if we walked and, um, you know, we came across and we picked up, I found an iPhone, and I picked it up, and we're all walking there together, and I picked it up in the sand, and I was like, guys, dude, this, look at this. Look at this thing that natural forces in a collision of salt water and wind and forces and things brought together. It's unbelievable. I mean, look at all the detail. This is unbelievably complex and incredible. You guys would go, you're an idiot. Somebody dropped their iPhone. That's where that came from. Think about it. I mean, I know it's silly, but all of us would rationally connect the dots. The world around us is infinitely more complex than an iPhone is. And yet people will hide behind that, you know, it doesn't have to have a creator there And often, just to be candid with you, generally speaking, the people who are like, no, there doesn't have to be a God behind the Big Bang. The reason they're there is they don't want there to be a God behind the Big Bang. Not because it makes sense, not because it's rationally there any more than going, no, there doesn't have to be. It's possible that this could have been made by the wind and by, you know, like a tornado came together and, you know, just things smoothed it out and chiseled over time. Sure. Is it possible? I, I, I I guess. Is it probable or rational or logical? No. And generally speaking, that's why most people hide behind like, oh, the Big Bang doesn't have to have God because they don't want it to. But the Big Bang complements and confirms the Bible. It doesn't contradict it. Now, what I think is a more powerful, or not more powerful, more problematic often idea in terms of science and Christianity contradicting, contradicting is evolution. Big Bang, uh, you know, even most astronomers, scientists, leading thinkers would go like, yeah, The Big Bang is a pretty tough one to escape. But evolution, that is a a, a field in which, you know, it totally contradicts the biblical narrative. So does evolution contradict Christianity? First, let's define what evolution is. So most of us probably went to a school or studied at some point a textbook that brought up like, hey, here's what evolution is. Evolution being the theory that, uh, there's a couple parts of it. One, there would be micro evolution or minor evolution, which would be small adaptations within a species over time. So this science, generally speaking, has confirmed that there have been small adaptations over time that allow whatever species in the species itself to be more effective at surviving. Does that make sense? So a giraffe, one of the theories behind a giraffe would be, hey, the, the giraffes with taller necks were able to reach leaves on trees higher, and so those just ended up living while other ones weren't able to get as much food, and so over time, just giraffes had higher necks. Macroevolution would involve the idea that everything on the planet spontaneously generated from some amoeba life form, and that began to evolve and adapt, and it eventually became some sort of, it eventually became an organism that turned into a fish, that may have turned into a, just an amphibious lizard that turned into something that walks on land, and then it turned into a mammal, and kind of everything in the tree of life evolved from the same thing. You may have seen something like this or seen the tree of life as it relates to evolution. I know you guys can't see it, but it's right there. Where every single thing kind of connects back to the same thing. The problem with this idea, and you probably have never heard this, or maybe you had professors that were like, hey, it's a proven thing, you can take it to the bank, is that those who study this field even acknowledge 
we have not found the transitional fossils in between those. In other words, if you had a giraffe that eventually morphed into an elephant, you would think that we'd have a elephant in between there at some point, where it was like kind of giraffish looking elephant and it morphed along the way. And we don't have evidence of that taking place. We have evidence of small adaptations in the fossil record. We don't have the evidence of the intermediaries. Does that make sense? Like the kind of in-between ones that are there. And if you don't believe me, here's Harvard professor, paleontologist, Stephen Jay Gould, who says this. He's an atheist, by the way. The extreme rarity of the transitional form in the fossil record, which is like those in-between ones, persists as the trade secret of paleontology, as in paleontologists know it, but everybody else doesn't. The evolutionary trees that adorn your textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference, however reasonable, not the evidence of fossils. Darwin, Darwin, Charles Darwin came up with kind of the whole evolutionary theory, origin of species. Darwin's argument still persists as the favored escape of most paleontologists from the embarrassment of a record that seems to show little of evolution directly. Here's what he just said. This is a Harvard professor. Again, you should Google this quote. Look it up. This is not coming from you know, sources that are Christian biased. This is a Harvard professor writing an evolution's erratic pace natural history, Stephen Jay Gould. Here's what he just said. Hey, the paleontologists and people believe this, but they don't believe it because we have a record. They believe it by faith. We only have, and this is kind of what only paleontologists realize, when you look at that tree with all the different animals that are on it, we really only have the ends of those animals and maybe some minor adaptations on things, but we don't have an ability in the fossils that would allow us to trace further and further and further back. The idea of evolution at a macro level is just not proven. And so you believe it. If you believe it, it as much as this may upset you, by faith, according to Harvard professor Stephen Jay Gould. Here's the problems with evolution. Number one, the fossils don't support it. We just said that. Number two, science can't reproduce it. I want you to think about this because it's a pretty interesting thing to think about. The idea of evolution is that species could come together and begin to slightly adapt and adapt and they could interbreed with other types of animals and other species and it would form new animals that would be a part of kind of the chain spreading and going out. Today, if a scientist or if a breeder or somebody who wanted to like uh, work on speciation and take different species and breed them together to make a new type of animal in a uh, test tube scientific environment, and they begin to go like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take, you know, uh, we're going to take a lion and we're going to mix it with this horse. It's going to be a lorse. It's going to be amazing. They can't do it. Like we can do it within species. Like we can do it within like dogs. You can take a dog, you take a chihuahua and a poodle and you make a puawa, but we can't take a cat and a dog and make a dat. Think about that. It can't happen. Even when you go in the same family, you take a horse and a donkey, you guys know this, you can make a mule. A mule can't reproduce. It's sterile. They can't continue on. And that's in the same family of animals. So the idea that, hey, animals over time, by natural selection and natural processes and a blind, which is what the process of evolution would be, this blind guiding force to continue to drive animals to evolve and change and procreate. If we can't do it with science intentionally trying, why would anyone believe that nature was somehow able to do it over time? So the second problem is that science can't reproduce it, which is at the heart of what science does. 
They embrace things that they can observe, test, and reproduce. To scientifically conclude that evolution is a fact contradicts science. The third thing and third problem with it is that the idea that evolution is built on simpler things moving into more complex things. If enough time is given, simple things move into more complex things. Anybody who's been alive any amount of time here has seen that's not the way our world works. Things don't genuinely get more complex and more intricate and more impressive over time. More chaos is introduced. What do I mean? Like no one is ever, and I'll just hyper, again, I'm I'm condensing a time period really fast down, or I'm condensing it, let me just explain. No one would go into there, anyone like bike here? You got a bike, you got a bike, dude. Look at you. Oh, come on. You guys, anybody? He's got long legs. He looks like a biker. Biker, runner, triathlete. Okay, let's assume Seth had a bike. If he went into his bike or in his garage and his bike's hanging out there, he would how crazy would it be for him to show up the next day and be like, oh man, this bike just turned into a golf cart. And then he showed up the next day and it turned into a car. And then he showed up the next day, it turned into two cars. And then it, it, it reproduced itself, had two little baby cars, little mini Coopers out there. And then it turned into a spaceship over time. It would be crazy. The idea of simple things moving in the direction of becoming increasingly complex over time doesn't make sense. It doesn't operate in the same way the world around us works. And in that scenario, you may be going, oh, but that's like a dead object. It could with a living object. In what world do simpler things get increasingly more complex entirely on their own? You add nothing to it. There's no mind and mental intelligent design that's a part of it. It just is going to get increasingly more impressive on its own. It doesn't. And the fourth problem with the idea of evolution is spontaneous generation, which is at the heart of the entire thing. What is that? What do I mean? That there was this blob and this kind of melting pot of uh, forces that came together in this cocktail of things in our world, and somehow inanimate objects spit out life. And it may have just been bacteria or an amoeba or something really small, but spontaneously it was generated and came from nothing. And then there was something. The idea that nothing or something came from nothing makes no sense. Yesterday, let me use this. I, uh, I got a call from my wife at 5.30. She um, was like, hey, there's a bird in our house. And I was like, a bird in the house? She said, yeah, there's a bird. It's been flying around. I'm trying to keep the dog from killing it. And I've been calling animal control. And animal control is apparently not doing stuff because corona. I'm like, you called animal control? That escalated so fast. And uh, she's like, yeah, I didn't know what to do. There's a bird in our house. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to hurt the bird. And what do I do? And so I came home and, um, and she was just like, hey, I just tried to shoo it upstairs. I don't know where it is. I go and I'm looking all throughout the house. And I, don't, I don't even know how like, big the bird is. So I'm kind of going like oh, this is not like a hawk or anything. It's like, it's a little bird, right? And she's like, yeah, it's kind of a little bird. So eventually I find it. It's in our master bedroom closet. I get a pillow and I just try to like guide it out the door and get the bird out of the door. You know what never crossed my mind? This bird came out of nowhere. This thing could have spontaneously generated. I mean, the doors were not open. The only way that this door, it's not like she was like, hey, come on in, bird, and that's how it ended the house. It must have spontaneously generated. It must have came out of nowhere and it just popped up there. No, because that's crazy. Maybe it came in through the chimney. I have no idea exactly how it came. Maybe she didn't even realize it, but one of the doors was open and it came in. But something 
And from somewhere, that bird came. The idea of spontaneous generation is at the heart of the evolutionary theory, an idea that something could spontaneously generate from nothing. And something coming from nothing makes no sense. And anyone who tells you that it does is hiding behind a smoke screen where they do not want to believe there is a God. They're not hiding behind evidence that logically makes sense. And candidly, they have more faith than you do because they're going, hey, something came from nothing, which makes sense. No, it doesn't. And evolution does not contradict God and the macro evolution has not been proven. If anything, the picture that we get when we look at the fossil record and the world around us, when you look at it, aligns right with God. What do I say that? When you read Genesis chapter one, where he begins to talk about the creation of animals and mankind, he says, God created animals and he made fish and livestock and all those are living creatures that are on the ground. And he made them, he says it over and over, according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to their kinds, like their species. They were placed in these groups and they reproduced in those groups. And then it says that he made man distinct from all other animals. It says, Genesis chapter one, verse 20. Seven, and God made man and woman in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And he said, hey, I'm giving you, I want, I'm giving you the ability. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, it says, that they may rule over all that is, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, over livestock, all the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. Am I, is that going to convince you that God is there? No, but it aligns with what you see in our world. There's something distinct like When God made all of creation, he says, I made just man in my image, uniquely. There's something distinct even about like humanity. Like why, if we all came and we all evolved and we're like, hey, but and right behind us is the chimpanzee. Chimpanzees can do a lot of cool things. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Like they can do sign language, some of them, they can learn some stuff. You know what they're not writing? Poetry, Shakespeare, playing music, like beautiful music. I mean, we can teach them to like, but think about that. That's the extent to which the highest height of the closest next animal in the world can catch up. Why? Because they weren't made in the image of God. They weren't given all the faculties and the reasoning and a soul and the ability to think and reason like humanity is. So whatever you think about the Bible, you may not even believe that, but that at least aligns with the world around you you see. And it certainly aligns with the fossil record where animals seem to be groups in their kind, not in these transitional species. Finally, does science and Christianity contradict? Or does science contradict Christianity? No, of course you would expect me to say that, but the reason I say that is if it does, you have a big problem with the scientific community. And my guess is you're not a scientist because the average scientist believes in God, a personal God. And this is another stat that, in case you think I'm, I'm reading from, you know, ChristianDownAtheist.com. This comes from the American Association of the Advancement of Science, conducted by the Pew Research Center in 2009. Said 51% of scientists say they believe in God or higher power. Christianity has fueled the advancement of science. The development of chemistry in the scientific world advanced in Western civilization, which was Christian and had a Judeo-Christian underlying to it, unlike any other place in the world. We're the only place where chemistry and biology, the way that it did, began to advance because Christians believed 
Science was an exploration of how God made the world around us. They've been wed together. And they haven't been disconnected in a way that Christians were ever afraid. Some of the most famous scientists in history were Christians. And they said this, or I'm sorry, let me list out some of them. Francis Bacon, he established a scientific method. You've probably heard of that. Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, came up with the electromagnetic field theory. James Maxwell founded the electrodynamics. Louise Pasteur, pasteurization, vaccination, immunization, bacteriology, Johannes Kepler. Today, some of the leading thinkers in the scientific world see that science drives them to God, not away from God. One of those is Francis Collins. He was the founder of the Human Genome Project. He wrote a book called The Language of God. He was an atheist until in his 20s, he began to study DNA and he looked at everything and he began, he wrote a book called The Language of God, which was about DNA, where he looked at cells and he saw DNA. And you know what he discovered? He said in each cell of DNA, there contains enough information to fill 30 30 encyclopedias of structured information. When I read it, I'm reading the language of God. I'm seeing how he wove the DNA and things in our body. It didn't drive him away from God, it drove him to him. Rosalind Pickard, inventor of artificial, inventor and artificial intelligence expert, invented effective computing, a professor at MIT, a follower of Christ, Ian Hutchinson, a nuclear science professor at MIT, Kenneth Miller, professor of biology at Brown University. And I could go on and on and on. If science contradicts Christianity, it certainly doesn't for them. And my guess is if you believe that, you are not a scientist. Because flip a coin and the average scientist is going to believe in God. Is going to have a faith you say they don't. The truth about science and Christianity, the reason why they don't contradict each other, is they share the same goal. Here's why I say that. The word science is, uh, it comes from a Latin word like scientia, it's, um, which I probably butchered for somebody out there who speaks Latin. Um, and that word means knowledge. The goal of science is to pursue knowledge and truth, the pursuit of truth. The goal of Christianity is not some blind, hey, we don't, we don't trust the world around us or trust facts. We're all about faith blindly. It is the pursuit of truth. Jesus said you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 said, for we cannot oppose, verse eight, we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. Christianity has always had at its epicenter and heart the pursuit of truth. The church was a part of funding and fueling Isaac Newton's research on gravitational theory. The church and Christians were the reason why Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, and Brown all began as Christian institutions. Harvard's original motto was truth for Christ and for the church. It is not anti-intellectual. In fact, if anything, Jesus says you cannot check your mind at the door and follow him. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your mind, with your mind and your strength. Christianity has nothing to be afraid of when it comes to science because every time there's a discovery, all it gets us the chance to do is say, that's how God did it. That's amazing. That's all that science is. And science really can't be anything beyond that because here's what science does. Like it has limits in what it can study. Why do I say that? Science is all about like what happened or kind of how it's there. It's not about why. Like, like think about this. 
This is kind of profound to me, but maybe it'll only be to me. Like if tonight we all walked outside and in Dallas, it's too overcast, so we won't be able to see the stars. But if we were out in the country and we could see the stars and the stars had moved together and grouped up and it said, hey, yo, God is real. His name is Jesus. Told you. Scientists would not go, huh, wow, I guess it's true. Science would say, how did those all move together and at what temperature are they burning and how far away from us right now? And what, they wouldn't be concerned with the actual message that they would just evaluate the contents or what and how it's there, not why. Because science has limits. And it can't explain every single thing that there is out there. It is concerned about the pursuit of truth and providing data towards that truth. And as amazing as it is, and science is amazing, and Christians don't need to be afraid of it, we should embrace it, we should celebrate it, we should encourage it. But as amazing as it is, it still has limits where it can't be the extent of entire truth. In other words, there are certain things you just can't test in a test tube. There are certain things in this life where you can't go, man, it's repeatable and unmeasurable and we would all, or most of us, that would recognize their reality, but we wouldn't say science could do anything to test those and put it to, what do I say that? Like things like beauty. There's no way to evaluate and scientifically say even such a thing as beauty exists. Especially you take away God, it does not. It's just something in your brain firing off going, oh man, it looks so pretty right now. Or she looks so pretty right now. Things like purpose, they don't exist. You're here with no purpose. And when you die, worms eat you. And that's it. Apart from a embracing of the understanding that God is there and he wove you together and he made you on purpose. Things that science can't explain like morality. Science cannot explain why Hitler doing what he did in Germany was wrong. It can just tell you what he did in Germany. It can't explain that it's wrong or the sense of morality in your heart that's like, man, there's real evil in the world around us. It can't explain that. Origin of life. The best explanations and attempts on explaining the origin of life fall short or just go, I don't know, but it somehow existed and they stop asking the question from there. But Christianity provides answers to all those. It says that things are beautiful because there's a God who out there, who is out there, who's like an artist who painted and sees the works of his handiwork all over the night sky and all over the world around us. We're told that God made you with a purpose and he tells you that purpose is to know him, to make him known. And that's why no matter what you do with relationships or alcohol or a job, it never satisfies It can't ever fill that because your purpose wasn't to have those things. It was to know God. It tells us the origin of life happened with him and he created you and he created the world around us and he wove it together. It tells us that morality is in your heart and there's something inside of you that says there really is messed up people or there's messed up actions. What happened in Germany is not okay. Sexual abuse is not okay. And we're told, the Bible says, that's because in Romans chapter two, 14, verse 14, God says, that's because I put that there. It gives an explanation for things that science will never be able to do. Science alone leaves you lacking. Science plus Christianity provides answers because they're both in the pursuit of truth. And unlike the limits that are on science, Christianity provides answers where science is limited. And it does not contradict the answers where science can give explanations. Ultimately, the biggest, honestly, um, smokescreen, or the biggest reason why most people don't believe this stuff is it's just a smokescreen, dude. And if there's any part of you, like, like, look at me right now. If there's any part of you that's like, I don't want to believe in God. 
Because if I do, I may have to stop smoking that or stop doing that, or I may be accountable to someone. If there's any part of you, like just be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody. Just be honest. You owe it to yourself. If there's any part of you that's like, I really don't, I hope it's not true. You should be concerned and think about that. Could it be you're deceiving yourself? And it's trying to justify why. No, 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 man. Evolution. Evolution is why, you know, I can't trust the Bible. Could it be? You don't want to. Because you think it may involve you being accountable or changing or it's just easier to not. And you're like me in that moment with the dermatology where you're like, I don't want to know the truth. And here's why that's a tragedy. And let me close. This past weekend, I uh, had a chance to go with my wife and Texas is like getting to open up a little bit more where we can go kind of more out and about. But we uh, took the kids out to this uh, park um, up kind of in North Dallas and we went out there and we went on these different trails and went all through the uh, this park that was out there. And it wasn't like Greenbelt trails. It was like you're going on hiking, kind of like dirt stuff. I mean, it was really fun. Took four-year-old son, one and a half-year-old daughter and we're, um, my wife and we're just walking through these trails. Eventually I see this plant that I'm like, I think that's poison ivy. And I'm sitting there looking at it and it was in front of this view that we had gone up to see and it was just right in there in front of us. And I'm thinking to myself, I think that's poison ivy. And my son runs up and grabs the plant, which he, I don't know that he's ever grabbed any plant before, but he grabs this plant, starts ripping off the thing. And I'm like, talking to my wife, I'm like, babe, I think that's poison ivy. And she goes, no, that's not poison ivy. I've had some bad experiences with poison ivy before, so I'm a little paranoid. But I'm like, no, babe, I really think it's poison ivy. And she's like, no. And I'm like, hey, if it is poison ivy, we need to go wash him. And, and he's like, he, you can't, a four-year-old doesn't understand what poison ivy is. He thinks it's like a character Batman fights or something. So he's like, what, what does poison ivy mean? And it's like, well, if you touch it, it's going to have a rash. So he starts touching his sister's face. He starts touching all of us. I mean, it was like, this is, this is not good. My wife is like, no, I don't think it is poison ivy. And I'm going, I think it is. Like, here's, here's a picture of poison ivy. In case you haven't seen it in a while, you guys can look there. The top one is poison ivy. And then Billy, show him the next one. That is what we saw. If you, go back for a second, Billy. It's kind of hard because it's far away. But if you can look at it, it's almost identical. And I was like, babe, I'm telling you, I think it is poison ivy. And here's what's at stake. Like, let's say you're right. It's not poison ivy, even though leaves of three let them be. And we didn't. Let's say you're right. It's not. And we go and we leave. Five minutes early, we miss five minutes of the trail and we go wash our hands. What did we miss out on? Just five minutes of the trail and you know, we got to wash our hands. Let's say I'm right and it is poison ivy and he's touching currently all of us even still right in this moment. What is at stake? All of us are getting poison ivy and going to be incredibly uncomfortable. So anyways, finally I convince her, we'll get out of there. We go find like the only water source around there and we begin to just like pour water on our son who at this point is like pouring on his face and we're like uh, trying to explain, hey, you're going to thank us later when we're pouring water on all of us. Now, <clears throat> was it poison ivy? Well, I didn't know until 3 a.m. that night when my wife got up and said, I've got poison ivy all over my leg. And there was apparently, you know, an area where she hadn't rubbed water on and she was wrong. Even though she thought she was right, she was wrong. And it cost her. And what was at stake 
was clearly like, hey, you know, we should do this. And I'm glad that we went and washed our hands that five minutes or else our son would have been decked out and our daughter would have been decked out and poison ivy all over their body. And you were wrong and it cost you. If you were in the room or if you're listening tonight or you listen down the road at some later time and you hear this message and you've embraced a worldview that seems to say, I don't think it's true what the Bible says, I don't think any of that's true. I think God, you know, we all came from nothing. There's no reason that we're here. There isn't a God behind everything. There's no purpose to our life. I die, worms eat me, and I move on. There's no such thing as any of the stuff the Bible says. He didn't come into the world. God didn't show himself and die on a cross and give his life for humanity. I don't think any of that's true. Let's say you're right. What's at stake? Nothing. You're right. You die and you get eaten by worms. You gain nothing, you lose nothing. Let's say you're wrong. Let's say it's true. Let's say there is a God who is there, who came into the world and he made himself known in the person of Jesus. And he went to a cross to pay the punishment for your sin and my sin and every sin out there so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from God. And he created you with purpose. And he created this world with purpose around it. And he's the one behind the big bang. He's the one who designed everything around you in the world that you see. And he's offered to anyone who will simply accept what he did on the cross on their behalf, dying in their place and rising from the grave so that they would have eternity with him and not be sent to eternity away from him in hell. Let's say you're wrong. What is at stake? You cannot be too certain about this question. The evidence, you need to evaluate it. If there's any part of you that's like, I don't even know that I really want that to be true, because then I may have to change. You should be really concerned and be honest enough with yourself to go, there's part of me that doesn't want this to be true. I need to at least, if I'm going to be objective and evaluate the evidence, acknowledge that. And then begin to go like, does evolution really disprove the Bible? Like if hell is at stake for eternity, you cannot be too certain. What is at stake is far more than some sort of poison ivy rash. And if I'm right, and Jesus and everything the Bible says about scripture, what is at stake is bigger than anything you could ever imagine and more important than anything you will ever ask yourself. And could it be true? And if there's any part of you that wants to reject that just because out of your own desire, you should be concerned. Because it relates to the Big Bang. You can reject Christianity for different reasons, but the Big Bang is not one of them. Evolution doesn't disprove it, and science doesn't contradict it. And you need to be asking, could it be? Could it be true? For many of you, that question is going to take a lot of courage. But wherever you are, I want you to pray tonight, maybe in this moment, and just begin to think, like, God, could it be true? If you're out there, I want to know you. I want to know you more than I want to know answers. I want to know you more than I want to be right. I want to know you. Will you help me? And that's a prayer our God loves to answer. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are not a God who we have to wonder what he is like. You wove together the world around us. You created everything that is. You placed us inside of it. And then so that we would know who you are and what you're like. 
You entered into it. You became like one of us so that we could relate to you and we could know you. And you did so in the form of Jesus. And thank you that you didn't come into this world and say, everyone has rebelled and everyone's going to be punished. You came into the world. You created. You formed. The atoms you held together. The world you spoke into existence. And you bore the punishment for all of our sin. That you came running after us, even though we ran from you. I pray for right now, anyone listening to this, that you would do what only you can do, which is reveal yourself and reveal the truth about who you are. They would begin to doubt their doubts and question. Could it be that it's true? I pray that if nothing else, the question of what is at stake and how much is at stake would penetrate into hearts and minds and your spirit would allow those of us who've never had a moment of faith to come to trust in what you did on the cross. You died in our place. You took the punishment we deserved and you rose from dead. And we will be with you for all of eternity. And we worship you now in song. Amen.